This morning, if you brought your Bible or choose to reach out and grab the one that's in front of you in the chair, I'm going to re be reading a story from John 4, 1 through 10. When I grew up, we called this the story of the woman at the well. So I look at you and go, okay, how many of you heard this at least a hundred times? <laughs> and how many of you have never heard it? I don't know if you guys know, I, I used to preach over in Mazatlan. My good friend Bob down here is responsible for that. But after church, we would have a time together like we do out here. And I would tell a story like Zacchaeus. And after it was over, we would go out and have coffee. And I would have people come up and say to me, I've never heard that story before. One of the greatest joys in my life is to be the first person to tell you this story. So this morning, I'm going to pretend you've never heard it. <laughs> okay. And for most of us, maybe we did and we forgot. That was a joke. <laughs> so if you have your Bible, I will begin reading verse 1, chapter 4 of the Gospel of John. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I stop right there. The story goes on, if you know the story, that the disciples came back after Jesus had a little more conversation with this woman. And during the conversation, just the two of them had, Jesus revealed to this woman something that she didn't want anyone to really pay attention to. He said to her, you know, you've been married five times, and now you're living with a man that's not your husband. And what did she do? She started arguing, arguing religion. How smart is that? <laughs> Couldn't argue politics. So let me just back up just a hair. I, yeah, I've done my math before. Are you okay with me doing my invisible math? Jerusalem's down here. Galilee's up here. And right in the middle is Samaria. So it said Jesus had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. Most of the time, people going from Galilee down to Jerusalem or Jerusalem up to uh, Galilee would skirt around. They hated each other so much. So when it says here, Jesus had to go through Samaria, no, he had an appointment in Samaria. Which asked me, when's the last time Jesus had an appointment with you? where he was waiting on you. This woman came out at the twelfth hour, which was about noon. Bad time to go to the water bucket, don't you think? Heat of the day. Well, that tells us a little bit about who she was. 
She did not want to be around the other women who were coming to get water that was outside of town. So there she is. Jesus offers this woman living water. She likes that idea. Wouldn't have to go back to the well anymore. So it's like, what can I get that? Then he talks about the five husbands, and she does that thing about changing the subject. That's called reflective for people who do counseling. You ever seen it? It's like ping pong. You say, you say something to you that you don't want me to know, and you go, bat it back. That's what she did. She batted it back. And then Jesus says to this woman, who, as she says, I know someday that the Messiah is coming. And here are the two of them sitting by the well, and Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm going to leave the story for just a little while. I want to talk about grace. Wayne and I have gone a little crazy. He said, what are you talking about, Sunday? And I said, grace. He said, well, that's what I was going to talk about next week. So we're going to do a two-part, at least, about grace. So here's what I have to tell you this morning. Sometimes when I read scriptures, I find myself looking at them sideways, not head-on anymore. And that happened to me this week. And here's the whole plot of the story. Grace, that is God's grace, has a name. That name is Jesus. I hope you agree with me. Our God is known for His grace. Biblically, grace is defined as the state of kindness or favor towards someone. It is an act of blessing. It's the simple explanation that I, as a country boy, would give you is that God's grace is a gift. He gives to His people who deserve absolutely no gifts. There's nothing under our Christmas tree because we have been on the naughty list. We don't deserve it. We are the ones who do not deserve the gifts. My granddad was a preacher, and my dad must have listened to him quite a bit. I can remember my dad saying, grace is unmerited favor. It does not belong to us. So I want you to think about grace this morning. As I thought about it this week, I thought, what is grace encapsulate? It's like having this huge bucket. Because grace is where you find love, mercy, Forgiveness, hope, reconciliation, healing, and that one and only thing that we can get from this grace, atonement at one with our God. So this morning I continue you, and I'm going to say it over and over again to you all night and start saying it with me. Grace has a name. That name is Jesus. As our God who did not withhold His own Son sent His this gift, as we read this story in John 4, Jesus spoke and made a testimony of Himself by saying He is the gift of God. As I studied and prepared for this this morning, I made a discovery for myself. Maybe I'm the only one in the world that would ever saw this, and I will admit to being a little crazy. There in the Scriptures describing grace, we can actually change the word grace to Jesus. I'm sharing some of these scriptures with you this morning because they speak better than I do. Some of them actually say the name of Jesus in other places I will replace that word grace with the name of Jesus that is above all names. 
I start with 2 Corinthians 8, 9. I'm watching to see if anybody's flipping. Okay. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, they're both there. Right there together, they're twins. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. The Messiah, our Jesus, who is the Christ, gave up heaven to come be like us. We were told in the psalm that this one who comes is going to take on our infirmities. He's going to act like us. He's going to limp. He steps on a sticker that's going to hurt. All the things that happen to us are going to happen to him. He takes on our infirmities, headaches, backaches. The man worked in a carpenter shop. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9 says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, insert Jesus. It is by Jesus you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that for the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by Jesus you are saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. There it is again, ladies and gentlemen. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I read that scripture, and I thought, wait a minute. This sounds really interesting. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's past tense. Is it not? It's already happened. And we don't know it yet. It's something that is waiting for us somehow in this mystery of God. He already has us in our place in heaven. The God who does not respect time and space has us with Him already. Now I go to Romans 5, 1-8. I hope I'm not overloading you with Scripture. In case you didn't do your Bible study this week, I'll check that box for you. <laughs> Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, which is Jesus, in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. You see, just at the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That should be on the name tags. The ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
I've got to tell you, I took a little offense to something Paul wrote here. That suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. I have enough character at this point. Thank you. I don't need any more suffering. But that's what it says about us. Now I keep going to Titus 2.11. It says, For the grace of God, which is Jesus, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. I stop there to say this to you, has it? The scripture plainly tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. You think about what goes on in our world today. And is it true, can we believe what this scripture says, that everybody in this world right now has seen the grace of God and has a chance of salvation by accepting Christ? I say yes. So here's what I ask for you this week as you pray. That you begin to pray for yourself. That you understand the grace of God in your life. And then I want you to go out one and circle. All the people that are close to you. The family that you have. The family that you created here. Our church. And pray that we all see the grace of God that brings us salvation. Take it out another way. Pray for Mexico, the United States, and Canada. That every one who lives in those places can see the grace of God that brings salvation. That is our prayer. Then just take it out as far as we go and say, everyone that is alive walking on the earth right now, God, will you please let them see the grace you have brought that brings salvation? And may their answer be, yes. Please, I'll have that. I think that is a prayer that is legitimate for we, for us as Christians to pray every day and to ask for that. Second Corinthians 12, 9 is one that a lot of people will repeat over and over again. It's one that is kind of a safety net for us. It's Paul writing after he says he had uh, three times this thorn in the flesh that came to him. And he prayed to ask God to take it away from him. And God simply said, brings this message to him and says, My grace, Jesus, is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, I can look at my wife, my wife. Where is she? Sorry, Andy. I can look at my life and say, God's made perfect in weakness. He's awful perfect. I'm going to be perfect because I'm mighty weak. I stand here each Sunday that I preach and think, Lord, if you don't show up, this is not going to look good. I don't do this on my own. Then I go to John 19.30. This is a very familiar phrase that you're going to hear because it's something that we were into last week when we got to Easter and we got to the Good Friday. It says, when Jesus had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I read over and over again. I just keep, I've got this big old concordance and I look it up over and over again. It says, where does it say that Jesus fulfilled everything God has promised? You can see it over and over again. It said this was done to fulfill what the prophets had said. That's what he did. He came to fulfill Okay, here's my 
visual for you today. As you can see, I've been drinking a little water. But if this were full, up to here, can it get fuller? Well, this is 10th grade science. Come on. <laughs> no, it can't. If it's full, it's full. When Jesus came to fulfill everything God had asked him to fulfill, there was nothing left. He can't get anything else in there. And how about us? If we look at the grace of God and say, look what you have done for me, and you let that grace fill you, there's no more room. You're full of God's grace. You guys remember Paul Almighty? When he talked about the rest of the story? So many times when we see an encounter of Jesus and someone, we don't get to see the rest of the story. I mean, again, one of my favorite stories is Zacchaeus. I'll get to do that for you one day, I hope. We don't really know what happened to him after it was over when Jesus left. But we do to this woman at the well. She goes in, in John 4, 28 through 30, she goes into town and says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come on, see this man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and make their way toward him. What keeps going in John 4, 39, because the people all came out and they listened to Jesus and it says, many of the Samaritans came from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told them everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, Many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, we sit here this morning with this gift of God that is grace in us. That's what we've been told. Wherever we go, whatever we say, whatever we think, whatever we do, this grace that comes from God fills us. And when we begin to see that and know that, life is going to change. If Jesus stood by me all the time, would I be different sometimes? How about you? Revelation tells that down through the middle of heaven is a river of life. And there's all these trees and fruits on each side to sustain us. I would love to know that that river flows right out on top of us. I like the word slosh. I want grace to slosh out on us. And when it does, it, it overcomes us. It makes us totally wet. And that's the definition of overwhelming. That we are not afraid wherever we go, whoever we're with, just to simply say, Well, let me tell you what God's done for me today. We can talk about all other things, can't we? But for some reason, we hesitate. But if we believe what the Scripture told us a while ago, that this grace, this Jesus who has come to us, is known to everyone. It's hiding down here and then waiting to come out to say yes.
So this morning, I invite you in the name of Jesus Christ to say to him in his grace, Yes, Lord. Yes. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you that you send grace to us when we do not deserve it. That you love us so much, you give us your mercy and forgiveness, even when we do not deserve it. Deserve it. But most of all, we thank you for grace, who is the man Jesus Christ, and also your Son. We praise him, we lift up his name, and we want to call him Lord, because that's who he is. We thank you in his name. Amen.